everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Um, this is the How to Be a Successful Pro Bono Attorney Program, which is brought to you by the Public Service and Pro Bono Committee of the New Lawyers Forum of the Boston Bar Association. Um, we're going to be talking today about a few tips um, about um, the, the practice of pro bono work in the field and how you can successfully balance that with your workload uh, um, and the benefits you can acquire from participating in such services. Uh, I'll, I'll start with a brief introduction of what pro bono work is. So it's essentially, as you may all know, it's a um, professional responsibility that we have as uh, legal professionals to uphold further and substantiate the field of law while affording access to justice to all, right? And essentially, um, on a, the American Bar Association requires that we have about 50 hours of legal work donated um, in various forms for, uh, for free for at reduced fees to persons who have limited means or to various organizations um, that uh, provide um, um, nonprofit services in the community. And um, you can also do pro bono by donating to various organizations um, um, some sort of um, um, monetary sum to further the, pro the, the program's initiative. Um, in Massachusetts, it's not mandatory. Um, it's strongly encouraged and uh, lawyers should donate about 25 hours of their time to pro bono work and by servicing um, persons of limited means, charitable organizations, religious organizations, civic community, governmental organizations um, and the like and or contributing um, $250 up to 1% of your annual taxable income to um, various organizations that provide these types of services. Um, so in essence, it's, if it's not mandatory, why should you do it, right? That's gotta be everyone's first question. So um, yes, some reasons to engage in pro bono work are the professional, the opportunity to develop yourself professionally. You can acquire fundamental skills, especially as young attorneys, seeing that we are all part of the New Lawyers Forum program here today. Um, you can develop fundamental skills, um, build a negotiation, interpretation of law and regulations, drafting skills, filing skills, um, motion practice, very important, oral for oral agreements, discovery practice, and most importantly, you can diversify your practice. You can um, have um, engaged in various field of law to through pro bono work to gain experience outside of whatever your practice is if you are with one specific firm practicing in one specific area of law. Um, another benefit is to the ability that it provides for you to network. Um, you get to collaborate with various legal professionals outside of your firm, meet other lawyers and in different walks of life, whether they be practicing in an in-house setting, in a firm setting um, or otherwise. And um, the obvious, right? Um, if you do good work and you develop some sort of notoriety, you can also generate more clients and also more money down the road in essence, right? And um, from a professional standpoint, it allows us to honor our commitment to uphold the law and contribute to access to justice for all, and which is obviously an essential 
upholding of an essential element to upholding the integrity of our profession as legal professionals. Um, it's also a great way for our, us to get firm and client recognition. Clients love um, committing to a firm and getting services from firms that commit to a greater good and um, some, some sort of betterment to the community. So through pro bono work, you get firm notoriety and recognition and most firms encourage that very much so because it, they understand the benefit to the firm um, as much as they understand the benefit to, um, you know, um, perhaps participating in, a, in a, uh, a unique case that can, you know, set precedence um, for, you know, generations to come in the legal field. And um, also, and it's also a great way for you to have balance. It's you can have experience through varied, various, varied workload, develop time management skills, and um, learning to manage a pro bono practice alongside your private practice is a great way for you to, um, to further those time management skills and just be a better legal professional um, altogether. And uh, least but not last, um, personal satisfaction. Many of us work in field of laws that we enjoy, but maybe aspire to do something else to donate um, uh, and be part of a greater cause a cause bigger than us. It's a great way for us to um, have a personal impact and unique cases, often in humanitarian cases or even involving custody cases as one of our speakers will um, touch upon perhaps um, today. And um, so overall, it's a great way to diversify your practice, to um, gain experience that you otherwise would not gain in your private practice and just be a more well-rounded professional. We're gonna have some speakers come on today that are going to um, present um, what their perspective is on pro bono work, um, talk about their experiences throughout the work that they've offered in various capacity, whether it be as a guardian at litem or um, through full-time commitment to nonprofit work or to committing themselves to pro bono work alongside their private practice, or even committing to a being on the board um, <clears throat> of certain organization and donating um, a certain portion of their salary towards um, furthering the mission of various organizations. And we're gonna start with uh, our very own Caitlin Malone. Caitlin Malone is a partner at um, um, my firm, Turk and Quijano, <laughs> and she uh, works in our landlord tenant department, focusing on the representation of residential landlords and housing authorities. Um, she assists and advises landlords and property managers in all aspects of their operations, including lease drafting, summary process, fair housing, and um, she's had previous experience in the representation of commercial lending institutions in real estate litigation, complex title litigation, and summary process matters. She has also um, represented indigent um, clients in criminal matters and family law matters. She has a track record of successfully defending her clients at both the trial and appellate level of courts, having successfully tried and argued cases in the state court, Massachusetts Appeals Court, and in the Massachusetts Supreme Court. In her spare time, she enjoys, she employs her zealous advocacy as a court-important guardian in various matters. 
And um, I'm going to just go through the introductions of all of our speakers today, and then I'll pass it on to the speakers. So our next speaker um, for the day will be Avana um, Epperson Temple. She is a litigation attorney at PBD and Arnold, um, which is a Boston firm based um, Boston based firm. Sorry. Um, as a litigator, she's had a successful track record of defending clients at the trial and the appellate level as well. She successfully tried cases at the state court and the Massachusetts Appeals Court. She serves um, exponentially as a pro bono attorney for the Women's Bar um, Foundation um, and the Family Law Project. She's represented survivors of domestic violence and, um, and family law matters in restraining order cases. She also serves on the board of Pine Street Inn, where she works to increase community awareness regarding the strong correlation between domestic violence and homelessness, while also assisting the organization and its fundraising efforts. Havana has been recognized and get connected as one of Boston's most influential millennials of color in 2018, and she was named an up and coming lawyer by the Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly in 2020. And in 2021, she was recognized as one of Emory Law's um, top 40 under 40 alumni and received the Massachusetts Bar Association Outstanding Young Lawyer Award for her outstanding character, leadership, legal achievement, and contribution to the community. Um, next, we also have Lola Remy. She's a director of the pro bono program at the Women's Bar Foundation, where she um, recruits, trains, and supports volunteer and, and attorneys and the representation of survivors of domestic abuse and family law and abuse prevention cases. Prior to joining to the, the Women's Bar Foundation, uh, Lola was a staff attorney at the Volunteer Lawyers Project. She currently co-chairs the Domestic and Sexual Violence Council, and she is a graduate of the Uni University of Massachusetts in um, Suffolk Law. And finally, um, we have Jean-Philippe or Jean-Philippe Brignol, which <laughs> um, currently works as a assistant counsel at the Ferrer's Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, where he assists the legal team and advises the business team on a, very, a variety of legal, contractual, and operations matters in the area of employment law. He is the son of Haitian immigrant parents, um, like myself, and he is originally from the south suburbs of Chicago. He earned his bachelor's in political science at Yale, his um, master's in education and his Juris Doctorate degree at Boston University. Um, after law school, he clerked for the Honorable Chief Justice Chase T. Rogers, who is now retired um, at the Connecticut Supreme Court. And during his time as an associate at Holland and Knight, which is also a Boston-based firm, he focused his practice on general litigation, but also had an active pro bono practice, which included representing LGBTQ plus asylum applicant through deportation proceedings and the Boston Immigration Court and parents of English language learners in federal court. Um, Jean-Philippe was selected to be in the top 40 under Massachusetts list of national black lawyers in 2019 and a Hall in the Pro Bono All-Star from 2017 to 2019. He serves on the um, G LGBTQ plus advocate defenders GLAD board of directors 
the governing board of Ed Vester's School um, Improvement Nonprofit and was appointed to serve on the board of directors of the Commonwealth Corporation, which is a quasi-public workforce development agency. So phenomenal speakers here with us today, obviously. Um, um, I'm going to pass uh, it on to them and let them take over, starting with Caitlin, who's going to talk about her pro bono experience and mainly serving as a guardian ad litem appointed by the court. Thank you, Christelle. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I'm so honored and happy to be here and to have been asked to participate with such an esteemed collection of fellow practitioners. Um, so I think my pro bono experience is probably a little bit unique um, in relation to what you'll hear from everybody else today. Um, it has been mostly in relation to um, court-appointed guardian ad litem services within the housing court. Um, so if you don't generally practice in the housing court, or you're not familiar with that practice area, um, oftentimes the court has um, situations in which um, the tenant or the landlord have been represented by uh, counsel, either um, legal services or private counsel. And the court has some concerns about either party's um, ability to uh, assist in the prosecution or defense of their case. And also um, oftentimes related to mental health issues or capacity related issues as well. Um, so that's where a guardian ad litem comes in. And I, I guess to start off, a good question to answer would be, how do you get involved in something like that? So um, each of the various jurisdictions of the housing court maintain their own list of individual practitioners that are willing to participate as a guardian ad litem. Um, depending on the jurisdiction, sometimes that's a long list. Uh, in some situations, it's a very short list. So you get contacted much more frequently. Um, for instance, I think Boston Housing Court, Eastern Housing Court has a pretty substantial list. Um, and, and you offer your services, you sign up, you discuss with the clerk that you'd like to be added to the list as a potential guardian ad litem. Um, and usually it's individuals that have been practicing court and have a general understanding of the process and the procedure. Um, and and uh, I think that's obvious. The reason for that would be relatively obvious. They, they're asking you to um, act on behalf or assist another person in the defense or prosecution of their case. And so familiarity with the practice area is of course very, very important. Um, it doesn't happen without court intervention. So the court would um, either upon motion of either party or um, sua sponte, so by the judge's own initiative, reach out and say, I think a guardian ad litem is, is important and would be necessary in this case to assist either one of the parties. And then you get an order in the mail appointing you or, or via email these days, I suppose, appointing you as guardian ad litem for one of the parties. And the case could be anything from non-payment of rent to um, a very serious cause case. Um, the, but your role essentially as a guardian remains the same. You are there to act in conjunction with the attorney for the individual that's um, been appointed the guardian in, in their interest. So to assist them in the defense or prosecution of their case in trying to help the court in coming to 
a fair and equitable resolution to the case. Um, so that, that can span a very large array of possibilities. Um, it could be assisting an individual with a Section 8 voucher work with the housing authority to make sure that that voucher uh, remains in full force and effect so that they don't, they're not at risk of losing the voucher, which is a, a very, very uh, important element to a case like this. Um, it could be assisting with making sure that people are um, connected with appropriate services oftentimes in conjunction with the tenancy preservation program out of the housing courts. Um, and, and as I mentioned, it, it's a wide variety, a wide array of different possibilities and different roles that you can take on as a court appointed guardian ad litem. Um, and and it's, it's a different practice than acting as an advocate for either side or a lawyer or representative for either side. Um, your, your sole interest really is to ensure that the individual that you've been appointed to, um, their interests are protected, but in a different way than their, their lawyer is protecting their interests, right? So, so talking to the lawyer, making sure that they understand um, the interests that perhaps the individual cannot communicate themselves for, for whatever reason that might be. Um, and, and also making sure that at the end of the day, there's an outcome that is not detrimental to the person that you've been appointed to assist. The reason I got involved in put my name on those lists um, is because I wanted to see the housing court, which I practice in all day, every single day from a different perspective. So I, I have the great benefit of representing really wonderful clients. Um, but this gives me a different perspective on the housing court, on the impact of various decisions and how individuals in, in different sets of circumstances are impacted by housing court decisions. It also, um, it also gives me really great joy to help people that, that need help. And, and really that's probably what we're all here to talk about is um, these really beneficial um, things that we can do on a pro bono basis, but um, it's not all selfless, right? At the end of the day, you, you get this really wonderful feeling of participating in your community in a way that you wouldn't normally participate, at, at least from my perspective, it's not a way that I would normally interact with the court um, as an, generally a plaintiff's attorney. Um, and and I get to see the good work that the housing court does in a way that I would not normally see it. And um, you know, people are appreciative. You know, at the end of the case or at the end of whatever your involvement is, I, I've had so many people call me and say, thank you, I feel so much better knowing that you're helping me, or thank you, I feel so much better knowing that someone else is looking out for my best interests. And that's a, that's a really wonderful thing. It's a really wonderful experience. It's a, um, it's a really great way to give back to your community. I, I'm blessed to work at a very busy firm, um, Christelle knows. And um, it, it's, a really, it's a really nice way to feel like like I am utilizing my skills um, and my pro professional um, assets, I guess, in a way that I would not normally use them. 
So um, I, I would say that anyone that's interested in engaging in pro bono work in, in any way, um, I would really encourage you to do that. And um, whether that's in acting as a guardian ad litem in the housing court or in any other available way by which to participate in pro bono work, I think you'd find it tremendously valuable both to your feeling of contribution to your community and also um, also giving you a different perspective and understanding how um, the legal process works and how you can interact with it in a way that maybe is not something you initially thought of when you went to law school. Um, when I went to law school, it's not, I, I didn't assume that I would be working as a guardian ad litem or assisting the court in the capacity as a guardian ad litem from time to time, but it's really been a, a very tremendously rewarding element of my practice. Um, and I'm, I'm really thankful that the court has entrusted me with such a role. And it's something that I look forward to continuing to do for the rest of my career, really. Not sure if there's any questions or. Sorry, thank you so much. That was, um, um, thank you so much for um, providing that perspective, Caitlin. We're gonna, uh, uh, if anyone wants to ask questions, feel free, feel, feel free to ask as we go along. Um, as they, Jenna mentioned at the beginning of the program, you can put them in the chat and we can answer as we go, or we can do them at the end, whatever you're more comfortable with. But we do welcome questions as we go through this program. Um, I'm gonna open the floor up to our next speaker, which is going to be Alana and allow her to share her contributions. Again, welcoming any questions to be um, sent to us in the chat along the way. Awesome. Well, hi everyone, happy Thursday. Um, I'm really excited to be here to talk to you all about pro bono work and things that, um, you know, areas of law that I'm really passionate about that I don't get to practice in full time. So I was really fortunate to be able to begin my pro bono practice in April or June of 2016 um, with the Women's Bar Foundation. We actually have the director of um, pro bono services at the Women's Bar Foundation here, Lola. So I won't go too much into what that, um, into what that pro bono work looked like. But I will say there are um, so many benefits to doing that type of pro bono work. It's you know, as a first year attorney, I didn't realize how much I actually knew about the practice of law and how familiar I was with certain concepts and just how the court functioned on a day to day basis. Right. As a first year attorney, you are surrounded by people who've been practicing law for 30 years. And it's almost like you're constantly reminded that you are the new kid on the block. And by doing pro bono work and being comfortable answering questions about, you know, here's what a complaint looks like. Here's some things that should be included in an answer. Um, here's what the discovery process looks like. Here's what a deposition is. Um, it, it really helped to instill some, some confidence in me um, and just my legal skill set. But also, I was really able to help someone um, get more familiar with and navigate um, a big part of their life that was almost foreign to them. So, the two pro bono work is really a one facet of my community service work that I do, but the two organizations that I've done the most pro bono work 
with our um, the Women's Bar Foundation Family Law Project, which I highly recommend. Um, and then also the Men's Levin Pro Bono Appeals Clinic, which I also highly recommend. Um, both of those programs give you, uh, give you all of the support that you need to do pro bono work. So I know that one thing that um, deters people from engaging in this type of work is, okay, I might not have a supervising attorney to oversee me as I do this work. I might not have someone who's able to review a motion for me or something like that. I will say um, at the Men's Levin Appeals Clinic, they literally hand you a book this big. They have virtual trainings. They had in-person trainings, I think with the BBA at one point. Um, that went through the entire appellate process. And doing that pro bono work actually helped me to argue and draft and win my first appeal that I had for work, which was really cool. Um, and then with respect to the Women's Bar Foundation, I mean, we literally have mentors that you are able to check in with on a weekly basis. And I've had a mentor for the past six years that's been helping me work on this one case that I've had for the past six years. And um, she's been completely invaluable, right? Reviewing motions, um, talking about strategy with me. So if you sign up to do some pro bono work, you're not alone. Another thing that deters people from doing pro bono work is their own caseload, right? So I am very fortunate to work at a firm now that gives me um, where my pro bono work gets counted towards my billable hour requirement. But I worked at three other firms where that was not the case. So I literally would take the day off and then spend the day in family court. Or I would go to family court for the entire day and then go to the office and start filling my time, right? And you are able to take on not only full representation cases when doing pro bono work, but you can also take on limited representation cases where you can um, elect to represent a client for one particular evidentiary hearing or one restraining order hearing. And that way you're able to limit um, the commitment that you make to, you know, maybe this is just going to take 20 hours of work. Maybe this is going to take 40 hours of work and not sign up for something that you cannot, um, th that, that you don't feel comfortable having or that, or that you don't necessarily have the time to commit to. Um, in addition, doing pro bono work, especially um, in like the corporate litigation space, it does help you build more empathy and it does keep you grounded. You know, as as on a day-to-day -day when you're fighting over millions of dollars that most people don't have, or even if you're just fighting over a quarter million dollars that most people don't have, you realize that people actually have real problems that impact their day-to-day, -day, that impact whether or not they can put their kid in a certain school, that impact whether or not they'll have food on their table at night. And building empathy is actually a skill that you need if you are going to manage other people, um, it's a type of leadership, empathetic leadership. So there are some definitely um, some pros with that. And then also with respect to pro bono work, you know, I've focused my pro bono work in the DD space and in the appellate work space. But even if you don't want to be a litigator at all and you don't want to be in court at all, there are opportunities for you. I have a colleague that is doing um, transactional pro bono work and literally helping local farmers draft contracts and local farmers um, create business entities. So you can get really creative in the ways that you want to give back. You can get really creative in choosing to help people in areas that you wanna build more expertise in, which is really cool. And then on another note, pro bono work can literally help you get a job if you're looking for it. If you are doing 
um, transactional work and you know you want to be a litigator and you're an eighth year attorney and you're like, well, I need to get some court experience if I'm going to get a job as a litigator at a firm. Being able to say that you've taken on litigation cases, that you've been in court arguing some types of hearings, pro bono experience is the same as regular experience, right? It's, it's, you're still in the same courts, you're still before the same judges, whether or not the client pays you or not, um, it's still a case and it's still experience and it's still something that you can, you can benefit from. Um, I know many people say that they want to go to law school to change the world and somehow that changes in three years. And, um, you know, through the work that I do, you're not changing the world, but you are positively impacting a life. You are um, helping someone navigate something that's completely stressful. You are working on something for someone who doesn't have the freedom to take an hour off during the day. Um, you are helping someone create opportunities for themselves. And so that is something to, you know, be really excited about, especially if you aren't in a space where you're able to see um, those types of positive, impactful moments on a day-to-day. So those are my thoughts. If anyone has any questions, I welcome them. Thank you so much, Ivana, for that um, um, very insightful contribution um, and um, a reminder that you don't have to be in court to be able to do pro bono work. You can also do it on a transactional capacity, knowing that not all of us lawyers um, have the personalities to be arguing in court um, and, um, you know, pushing along a case through the course of litigation. So thank you very much for that. We're going to give turn down, turn around and pass the mic to um, Lola so that she can talk about her contributions and her position mainly at the Women's Bar Foundation, where she essentially runs the pro bono clinics and programs and trains and helps people um, find, find their ground and um, doing advocacy in a very important area of law. Lola. Great. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this panel. I kind of structured my thoughts with a plan to do my five hot tips for successful pro bono practice. I didn't plan to talk a whole lot about WBF, even though I could easily, and I do that all the time. I'm not hard to find, so if you want to know about WBF specifically, reach out. I'm happy to chat about what we offer, and our biggest project is the Family Law Project for Survivors of Domestic Abuse, um, but we also have two other projects. One is a clemency project where we are working with incarcerated women filing petitions for commutation of sentences. And they're elderly women by prison definitions of the women who are 50 plus. And most of them have some health conditions that make it difficult for them to continue to stay in prison. Um, so if that is more up your alley, we certainly welcome volunteers for that. We also have an elder law project that is just helping individuals who are low income and have some assets, some property, um, create their documents, their probate and estate documents. So if that sounds like more your speed than being in court and being nose to nose with a person who is, you know, asserted to be an abuser, like <laughs> if you don't have the stomach that Ivana has to do this for six years, I just want to credit Ivana to say, I, I hear that she's got a case for six years, but she still takes cases. So she's got the one in the back burner, but I didn't realize you had <laughs> a six year case because you still say yes to other cases. So 
she's kind of exemplary that way. Just want to give a shout out. Um, so here are my hot tips. I'll start with just a little background. I started my career at a legal services program where I was doing no court work. And as Ivana mentioned, I kind of knew that wasn't a sustainable way to practice law because I thought, well, what happens if I want to make any kind of move out of legal services? Turns out I've never made a move out of legal services, <laughs> but uh, I wanted some court experience. I wanted some experience interviewing clients. I wanted some experience um, just knowing where the courts were even located. I was working mostly in a legal clinic and doing advice and document prep and stuff like that. So I did start volunteering with Women's Bar Foundation just so I could get my foot in the door in that way. And that was probably 10 years before I was even considering applying for a job to work there. And it worked. It kind of helped me move my career forward. Um, the program I was working for kind of ended up going under. And then nobody else was doing, you know, just hiring somebody for a attorney salary just to fill out documents. So I was glad that I had the experience of being in court and having some direct experience as a volunteer. And it's totally correct that it doesn't matter if the client pays you or not. Turns out it's the same judges. So um, that's just by way of background. Um, my five hot tips. One is be realistic about your availability to volunteer. Um, nobody wants to bother you. You don't want to be bothered. We at Women's Bar Foundation and everywhere else that I've worked, we're clear that volunteers have full caseloads, family obligations, um, recreational activities. We hope you're doing recreational activities. So just be clear about what you can commit and how much time you want to devote and what suits your personality. We offer a program for folks to represent only in restraining order cases. And sometimes I think people think, oh, that's gonna be great because the um, restraining order cases are kind of a one and done. You're in court one day um, and you're out. It's pretty much always limited rep. But the reality is those cases are really fast and hot and they come in, we usually have maybe five days to prepare for them. And if that does not suit your personality, you just have to be clear about that. And so maybe a longer case where you are committed for maybe three months, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's limited assistance, but you'll have to withdraw and you'll have to withdraw at the end, that might be more your speed. So you just kind of would be clear about your own personality, your own interests and your own goals and how much time you really have to commit um, to the case that you take. So that's tip, that's one tip. It's not number one, but it's a tip. Um, get buy-in from your firm. It's really hard to go it alone. And mostly you don't have to. So if you are considering doing pro bono work, it's incredibly difficult to just be taking a morning off of personal time. Because again, we want you to have recreational time. If you're using all of your volunteer, your personal time to volunteer, when do you rejuvenate? When do you refresh? When do you restore? How do you take care of yourself? Um, so if you are considering volunteering with a program, ask the program if they would be willing to talk with your firm, talk with the partners at your firm and connect maybe the partners at your firm with a different firm where they already have a pro bono program to see if you can get some support in that because you may not be able to get all of the hours billed, but you might be able to get something or at least excused from any court appearance time that you have to put in or things like that. So that's a tip. Um, also, use the buddy system. It may be in your firm that somebody else is interested in doing some volunteer work. Seek them out. And it may be just somebody that you meet at the bar generally. 
and I don't mean the bar bar. I mean, I guess we're not going to the bar bar. Um, but maybe you're meeting somebody at the Mass Black Lawyers Association. Maybe you're meeting somebody at the Women's Bar Association. Maybe you're meeting somebody at anywhere um, who also happens to be an attorney and wants to take cases with you. It's really helpful to have somebody as a backup just in case you have something blow up at your job and you can't make your hearing or you can't make your client meeting or anything like that. So use that. Um, what tip am I on? Uh, tip number four, do something you love. Volunteer work is not intended to be punitive. It's not required. It is strongly encouraged, but find one that you like. Don't just do one that, because I saw how Caitlin lit up when she was talking about the GAL stuff. I would never, I'll just let you know that I would never, um, but she likes it. You know, so find something that you actually like that you want to do. Volunteer lawyer project, volunteer lawyers project for the arts. Is that correct? They have a great program to work with artists. You can work with farmers. Apparently, I had no idea. You can be a GAL. You can be a DV or a restraining order advocate. You can be anything that you want to be. So just pick something that you actually will get some resource um, rejuvenation from because it is work on top of your work. And if it's just grueling and more brutal, you really won't get the joy that everybody's talking about from pro bono work from it. Um, I hope I'm not coming in. Also, this has been mentioned before, there are non-direct representation ways to do your pro bono work. You may choose to volunteer in different ways. It sounds like a couple of us are on boards. I also serve on a board. It's pretty close to the work that I do. It's a board for a, a shelter board for women experiencing DV with children. So you can serve that way. There are lots of ways to be of service and to support your community. It doesn't have to be showing up in court. You can be a GAL apparently. Um, so you can do all kinds of things. Just get creative. And if you are stuck, of course, I want you to take cases and I want you specifically to take WBF cases. But if you're feeling stuck about how to move your career forward and how to be more involved in pro bono, I think anybody on this panel would be happy to just kind of brainstorm some ideas with you. So do reach out in that regard. And then those are my tips, five. Thank you so much for that, Lola. Um, very, very good tips, um, very practical tips um, and important tips, um, time management, commitment, how much you commit to, uh, that'll, that's, that's extremely important in the balancing factor of, of being able to run, run a pro bono um, practice alongside your private practice. Uh, and with that, I'm gonna turn the floor to Jean-Philippe so that he can talk about his amazing contributions to the pro bono field as well. <clears throat> Hi everyone, uh, thank you all for joining us and uh, thank you Christelle for inviting me to be part of this uh, panel. I'm very honored and happy to be speaking about this. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have as much time to do pro bono work or can't, you know, given my position, um, but I am happy to talk about uh, it because I do think it's very important. It's skill building, it's confidence building, it's, um, it, you know, and I know that Ivana had said, you know, you're not necessarily changing the world, but I do think we are changing at least a part of someone's world, uh, you know, that, that person, you know, that that has, you know, very high impact for them, you know, even after I left the firm and the person who I was helping through asylum, you know, would text me, you know, I, I and make sure, you know, and be like, oh, I'm having this issue. And I could point them to somebody and be like, I'm not your lawyer, but here are these other places where you could get, um, 
resources and things like that so that they could progress, you know, because things change in their lives and uh, they know that you're somebody that they can trust and um, uh, will be there to support them. Uh, and so at my time, um, I guess uh, I'll talk about the different types of cases. I will say that, uh, you know, this started in law school, um, you know, for me, when uh, I was in the criminal defense clinic, was doing pro bono trips to New Orleans to do defense work. Um, I, you know, wanted, I was in the criminal clinic, wanted to, um, you know, get that experience of going to court, making sure I could uh, perform uh, oral arguments, but also, um, you know, I, I also had a, a passion for um, juvenile and adult uh, criminal justice work. Uh, so when I started at the, uh, in the criminal clinic, I got a sense of that. I also got a sense um, that it wasn't necessarily going to be my calling. Uh, I could help, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't going to be the thing that I was going to do uh, going forward. Um, and one of the reasons that I pursued pro bono work when I joined as an associate at Holland and Knight, it was an opportunity for me to gain skills that I wasn't gaining um, in terms of um, in terms of the specific things I was uh, was interested in. So, for example, very interested in immigration work because um, because my parents were immigrants. It's something that I've always paid attention to. So, um, helping and you know I I work. Uh, and serve on the board of GLAD. And so it was very important to me to help on an asylum case. And it was, it just happened that it became, uh, also was an LGBT person of color and uh, definitely wanted to help them through that process. Um, and there are organizations, you're not alone, as Ivana said, you know, there are organizations, PAIR is one of them that will give you a booklet that will have trainings with you through the BBA and otherwise, so that uh, they can have you uh, do that work. Um, nobody, uh, you know, I think it is, it does, and, you know, I don't want to minimize the amount of work it is, you are their attorney, you're the person that they're gonna, that's going to represent them up there. Um, but you have the opportunity to um, kind of fully dive in and invest in something that you know that's going to make a, a powerful difference in somebody's life. Um, and especially, uh, you know, in cases where I had to do change of uh, change of status for juveniles, um, things like that, it was very um, beneficial uh, for them. You know, I know that's gonna, a status they'll carry throughout their life and be able to use that to help progress. Um, there's also opportunities, um, as they were saying, to to do other things. I, I remember I went to do um, pro bono pro bono criminal defense work, but others went down with me to um, New Orleans, and they were doing tax work, right? So it can range from uh, you know doing starting up a business, looking at um, you know looking at uh, tax forms, uh, helping people with their social security, whatever it may be that interests you, um, and whatever area. Um, and then uh, in terms of interest, you know, for me, it was a way to rejuvenate in a lot of ways. I knew um, it's a lot of my uh, litigation work was uh, similar to Ivana's where it's just sometimes I'm like, just give them the money, you know, like, let's, 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 get, you know, let's get this done. Let's get it over with. Um, and in this, you know, in, in that time when I was working on those particular cases, I got to, you know, you know, kind of feel the human weight of certain things be there to make sure that that person felt comfortable. Uh, you know, they had traumatic experiences when they were uh, leaving their country of origin and 
being the person that they could trust with those, you know, sensitive medical documents, sensitive uh, issues that were coming up for them. It, uh, you know, was, uh, it was the moments where I was like, okay, this is why I'm doing these things. This is why I can be, uh, you know, I, where I can feel like all the work that I'm doing is going towards something that um, will be personally beneficial. And, you know, I don't want to knock anybody who's like trying to save their business and doing all that types of work as well. But um, it is definitely a different feeling, um, especially when you can, you know, talk one-on-one with your client, make sure that their views get heard. Um, And then there's sometimes uh, the ability and chance, I got the chance to work on um, a more uh, impact litigation um, arena. I was a teacher before I became an attorney. And, um, you know, I taught mostly English language learners in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And so uh, a lot of my students, um, you know, had trouble accessing the things they needed to be successful in school. And so we, um, uh, at my old firm, Holland and Knight, we uh, sued the city of um, Holyoke, as well as uh, as well as the Department of um, Secondary Education uh, and Elementary Education, and um, so that we could say, look, there's these folks, and we chose Holyoke because it just seemed like everybody was like, oh, Holyoke is great; they're doing great things for kids, but really they were missing, uh, and you know, not uh, really investing in their English language learners uh, and their parents. So we chose a novel. Uh, kind of a way to attack the problem, um, suing on behalf of the parents for access to um, be able to fully participate in the school to support their children. Um, we never, you know, we 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 ended up filing a federal lawsuit, um, you know, doing records requests, things like that. But especially when you're battling the state, you know, there are things they have FOIA, uh, you know, FOIA type um, laws where you can get public information or Freedom of Information Act. Uh, uh, type information from states. And so you can, you know, you, you can learn different various um, stages of litigation that might, you know, might not involve you really going to court that often. Um, and then, uh, you know, we weren't doing it necessarily because we were ready to go to court and ready to go to the case, but it was really to say, now we're engaging with the community and with the people who are leading. And then we're saying, now we're in a process of saying, you know what, if you made these changes, we'd be happy. So um, if you do, and so now you can influence policy and change so that you can make a broader change that will, you know, kind of impact your clients, um, uh, impact your client's ability to access services, uh, access, um, you know, access the things that would help them make them successful. So I think in, you know, you can look for different opportunities or different part of opportunities so that you can uh, provide uh, services that you care about. And for me, I chose immigration education because those are things that uh, are very important to me, uh, something that would uh, motivate me when it's late night and, you know, I want to watch Netflix or I want to do something else where I can say, you know what, let me get power through this, you know, reading, let me read this one more time. Let me finish reading this thing. Um, uh, and also you can do that, uh, you know, if you're a multitasker, you can do that in front of the Netflix show. But uh, I just, you know, I think, um, you know, th- those kinds of things uh, are very, very important. Just picking something that will really um, you're passionate about so that you can um, kind of push through those tough, um, tough moments. Because a lot of times it's, it's, um, the people who do it all full-time, it's thankless work. You know, you're going to the immigration court 
and you're say, they're like, actually, you're missing this piece of paper. And then you have to leave, go do something else and then come back. And then you have to come back again if you're doing UCIS. So a lot of immigration is paperwork and doing all this stuff and going back and forth. And it can be frustrating. Um, but thankfully, um, as uh, Lola was saying, that I think, you know, find the support in your firm, see if other attorneys that are there want to help and be part of your team. Um, you know, I also wanted to experience different parts of uh, not just litigation. So I found a team of people who wanted to, uh, you know, somebody who was doing corporate work so that we could help, um, you know, uh, some people who had come to me wanted to start a nonprofit. And I was like, yeah, I can do that and help. So going through the nonprofit um, formation process, thinking about their goals, it was another piece that I was very uh, passionate about, but I also got experience in an area that um, that I wouldn't normally have gotten, uh, you know, normally gotten in my experience as a litigator. So I, I think it's a, a big opportunity to uh, level up your skills, to be of service, to make sure that, uh, you know, and sometimes you'll discover something that you never thought uh, would be useful. But in, um, in my time, th that information has come back, you know, to help when I'm thinking about nonprofits in my work now. Um, you know, when I was working in a new environment, uh, thinking about loaning to nonprofits, I had had certain uh, experiences that I never thought would come to bear, but were helping me directly in the work that I was doing. So I think um, I think it's just a, a great opportunity to learn uh, and to be of service. So I think I'm I'm very pro. Uh, uh, I'm very, uh, okay, sorry, I was going to say pro pro bono, but um, <laughs> I, I fully support pro bono. And I think uh, it's something that everybody should, uh, you know, take a chance on. And again, sometimes it gets overwhelming, ask for help. Um, there are organizations that will support you um, and want to, to help you. And so I think uh, finding and, you know, when, if you're searching for a new firm or things like that, those are questions to ask to see, you know, are they going to count it as part of your billable hours? Are they going to provide you with that service? My first year at HNK, I did like, you know, they were like, hey, 100 hours, but I did like 200. Uh, and they were like, this is great. Um, but mm, <laughs> they're like, do your other work too. But, uh, you know, but, they, you know, I, I worked there for a number of years and it was something where they like they understood that it was something that was important to me. Uh, and so I think, you know, you have to just find out about those. And when you, you know, uh, when you're interviewing, make sure that you um, ask those questions, if that's something that's important to you as well. So I'll leave it there. Um, thank you so much, um, everyone. I don't see any questions coming in yet. I don't know if that's because they're not coming in on my end, but please feel free to ask any questions. I'm going to open up the floor to anyone who is curious um, about how to get engaged specifically. Um, in the meantime, um, I'm going to talk about some of the takeaways from today um, for making ProVoto profitable for you. Um, um, the panelists um, did a great job at ex explaining that it's, it's establishing clear goals and staying on point is very important. So determine, find the, the firm that suits um, your beliefs, right? If the, the firm is very um, supportive of pro bono work, that may be a firm you want to be affiliated with if that is something you look forward to doing. Um, make sure you establish clear goals or whether you want to do um, 
representation on a limited basis. If you want to pick a particular area of law that you want to work with, a particular organization that you want to work with, if you want to work on long-term cases, and just stay on point, um, stay true to your goals, and um, you know, stay the course so that you can gain the skills that you are able to develop through pro bono work. Um, match the work um, to the projected goals that you set for yourself. So if you want to establish entities and um, help farmers um, get their, get grounded in that respect, you can do that. If you want to, um, you know, develop your practice in advocacy, make sure you, you, you stick to that. You find work in organizations that would allow you to, to develop those skills specifically and um, take ideal pro bono clients. If you're looking for more, um, for instance, not notoriety, you can take on um, unique cases that have um, the likelihood of setting precedents. Um, you can take on, um, if, it, if litigation is not your thing, you can take um, clients that are ideal because they fit more into your schedule if it's something that is on a, of a more transactional nature, for instance, right? And communicate with your chosen nonprofit, make sure that you're supported if you choose one. Um, it, I cannot stress how important it would be to choose an organization that has the resources to help you um, succeed in your pro bono work, whether it be through your firm, if they have a pro bono project or through a, an organization that focuses solely on nonprofit work, for instance, you know, find the firm, the organization or the firm that has the resources, whether it be in training, whether it be in um, materials that are provided to you, whether it be in, um, you know, a real person talking about their real life experiences or, or um, uh, a, a listserv group of people. There's community, there's help out there. There are other attorneys who have preceded you and have done the work. So if you can seek guidance um, by sending a quick email to a group of people who are part of your, um, um, you know, whether it be through the Women's Bar Foundation who has a very effective listserv um, 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 community of attorneys that help each other. Um, you know, whether it be to, through the um, Volunteer Lawyers Project or any other organization out there, there is support for you. And, um, and if you find something that you, you like, you can double down and, and, and to improve on your professional reputation, reputation as much as you can improve on your skills. And always show up, do great work, be passionate, make sure that you can commit the time that is necessary to be a zealous advocate. It is still our responsibility as legal professionals to provide zealous advocacy. Honor your passions, make sure you do something that um, rejuvenates you, um, you know, revitalizes you and just um, gives you the courage and the, the, the will to, to, to stay committed to the case and stay the course, but like also uplifts you in whatever way, shape or form. Um, and most importantly, I know, it, you know, I'm saying brag, 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 but really, I mean, this is a part that most people forget about. Sometimes you just have to shout at from the top of the building what you've done. So you can not necessarily for an, an ego boost, but for the purposes of uh, establishing connections with people, networking. Um, you never know when the next opportunity may come, uh, how it would come. And so talking about your experiences can make a difference, whether it be because it continues to promote professional development 
or because it inspires somebody to take on a case or to do something bigger than themselves, right? You, you just don't know how impactful your experiences could be. So talk about it with other professionals and see what you can gain from the conversation and see what you can offer to other peers by sharing your experiences. Um, and yeah. with that, I will put on some opportunities that I took the time to look out. Those are all websites you can visit that list um, various opportunities that are available to you currently and the calendar from the Boston Bar Association, which um, shows various programs that are on board, trainings that are happening and can be very helpful to you in developing your practice or even finding where you would wanna commit um, if you choose to do pro bono work. Um, and um, otherwise these various websites list all the different organizations from the Women Bar Foundation to the Volunteer Lawyers Project to the Greater Boston Legal Services and, and the plethora of uh, organizations that offer pro bono work. And it actually lists some law firms too that have a big pro bono project if you want to familiarize yourself with firms that would support you and your pro bono um, endeavors. Um, and I'll open it up for questions for anyone who um, is would like more information or just guidance from our panelists. <laughs> um, Krista, I wanted to just touch on the put in, you know, do good work piece and the zealous advocacy piece. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's, you know, important for the client, important for, uh, you know, being successful because it's a real case. It's a, you know, you, if you're not on point, uh, that person could, uh, you know, it put set back that person's agenda and and that case. So you want to make sure that you understand all facets of it. You worry about it the same as your paid cases. Um, but I will say that, uh, you know, I just remembered another pro bono uh, matter where we, you know, helped, uh, you know, somebody wanted to start a cafe kind of community center uh, and helping them get a small business loan. And this is when I worked with, with the, um, the head of our office who was, you know, interested in that, uh, in, interested in helping that person. And now that person is my boss. Uh, at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. And I didn't work, I've worked with him on twice, two pro bono cases, one that went to the SJC and helped draft, um, you know, draft, helped draft a brief uh, that went to the Supreme Judicial Court here. And it was, it, it, it just, even in those instances where it was more that he was a mentor and things like that and didn't like work with me directly on litigations, it was those moments where he saw my work ethic, saw those things um, and, you know, saw the things I was doing. And I think that helped influence him to say, okay, this is a person that I want to continue to work with. So you never know what opportunities will come or, you know, what will happen. Uh, I know people say it all the time and it's just borne out. Uh, for me that that's, um, you know, that's important. So, you know, show up, do your best work and, you know, asking for help is not weakness. It's important to, so that people know that, you know, that you're not going to be underwater and actually, you know, take back a case or do things uh, that will set back, uh, you know, because they see that you uh, are mature enough to understand, you know, your bandwidth, understand what's uh, ahead of you or the challenges that are coming up. And it demonstrates, um, I think it demonstrates your good judgment. So. Yeah, and to one of those points, I had um, opposing counsel in one of my DV cases literally offer me a job 
Um, and it was very unexpected because we had just gone through a month of very heated motion practice, like, you know, the, the threats of default, the threats of BBO, the threats of, you know, I'm serving you Friday at 5 p.m. And um, when she offered me the opportunity to work for her, she was just like, um, you know, Ivana, you're, you respond timely, you write so well, like she saw these nice things. And in my mind, I'm like, I, I really thought you didn't like me. I really thought you just purposely tried to like ruin my vacations, purposely try to get in the way. Um, but yeah, it, it can really create opportunities for you. Um, and to that point, just a really great example, Ivana, of practicing with um, ethics and, you know, um, really uh, practicing in a way that honors our profession and our clients and our um, commitment to the bar. So you never know. You never know who's on the other side of your case. You never know who, who you're going to run into. And it's a small bar in Massachusetts. And it's so important to practice in an ethical um, and reasonable way, right? Zealous advocacy is so important, but there's a way to do it without being um, nasty to one another, right? We can, we can disagree and we can advocate for our clients' positions, but that's a great example of, you, ne you never know who's on the other side and you never know when you're gonna run into them down the road. So um, maybe not even just so much in the takeaway of pro the pro bono world, but just as new lawyers, right? On, on this webinar with us, a uh, really great reminder of how you want to be known within your legal community. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with all the tips that were provided today. I, I really hope everyone everyone found it informational. Uh, I'm just going to turn it to Jenna for a quick second. Jenna, do you see any questions um, coming in? I, I don't see any on my end. I don't see any on my end either. Okay. Um, we have a very quiet crowd today. Um, um, well, with that said, I really hope everybody enjoyed this program and um, got what they came here to look for. I'm happy to share my PowerPoint slides so you can visit the websites that ha that I have listed there so that you can um, um, find opportunities to do pro bono work. Um, if the panelists, I think, are all happy to if um, and agreeable to um, helping you um, get started if you want to join with whether it be the, or the Women's Bar Foundation, I can put you in connection with um, Lola, for instance, I can put you in connection with Alana, who's done work um, also with the Men's Levin Clinic and uh, any, really any, we can help you get started if you're interested in any way, shape or form um, um, and, you know, get signed up for, you know, the, uh, the list at the at the at the courthouse so that you can be a guardian someday too if you'd like um, and get involved let us know if we can be of any resources the boston bar association is very helpful in that respect as well and i am a chair to the pro bono and um, um, public service committee and i'm always always happy to answer any questions that you may have so feel free to reach out 
and let us know if you ever need anything and jumpstarting your pro bono career. And um, of course, I just want to say a quick thank you so, so much to the panelists. I, I'm, your input was so valuable today. I cannot thank you enough for your time and your expertise and um, your passion and zealous advocacy in the field. And um, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, Priscilla. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Nice to meet all of you. Bye, everyone. Stay warm. Bye, everybody. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye.